Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast. The Legend of Vana Thomas, or Old Thomas. In this episode, we are going to cover something that almost everyone that has stood in Tallinn's town hall square is probably familiar with. The weather vane of Vana Thomas has set in town hall square since the year 1530. It is a symbol of Tallinn as well as one of its legendary defenders. In 1944, Old Thomas was hit during the March bombardment. The burnt spire was reconstructed and a new copy of Vana Thomas erected in 1952. In 1996, the spire was renovated and the third Vana Thomas figure was put on it to guard Tallinn. The original weather vane is kept in the town hall. The one erected in 1952 is shown at the Tallinn City Museum. We are using the 1944 classic written by Gert Helbemai and translated over the last few weeks with the help of my wife, Eve. So many thanks to her. This is part one of two episodes. Over 400 years ago, there was a woman named Fishmonger Mai that lived by the sea near Tallinn. As her name suggests, she traveled every day to Tallinn to earn money selling fish. At the time, Tallinn was a fortress surrounded by a strong wall. Every evening at dusk, the guards would raise the drawbridges to secure the city, and every morning before dawn, Fishmonger Mai would wait for the drawbridge to be lowered so that she could gain access to the city to sell her fish. She always had with her her young son, Thomas. She never left Thomas at home by himself for fear that he might wander out to sea and drown like his father had done. The sentries guarding the city knew Mai well and always greeted her from the arrow slits. Good morning. You already here? That must mean the sun will be rising soon. And always after the watchman's horn would sound, announcing a new day. While Fishmonger Mai went to sell fish to the citizens of Tallinn, she left Thomas with the soldiers in the guardroom. Thomas had a lot of fun there. He would sit on the soldiers' laps so the men could see how much weight Thomas had gained. The soldiers had so many cool swords, spears, and crossbows. Thomas was unable to sheath the swords, pick up a spear, or draw the taut string of the crossbows because he was so small. Don't worry, said the men. We will make you weapons to suit your size. The men kept their words and made Thomas a toy spear and crossbow. Thomas was the happiest boy in the world. All the other boys in Tallinn were jealous of Thomas's beautifully crafted weapons that looked real. The boys of Tallinn used to play war games on the walls of the old fortification in front of the new city wall. The old wall provided a perfect area for the boys to reenact war games. There were trees that the boys climbed and sometimes had hollow trunks that provided good hiding spots. The old fortifications also had hidden cavities, which offered the boys the perfect hiding spots for setting up ambushes to surprise their enemies. The boys took their war games seriously and would sometimes arrive home with bumps and bruises on their bodies. After healing, 
the boys would always return to their games again. Thomas was excellent at these games, and because of that, his team normally won. Sometimes the boys would get angry and would say, Hey, no fair. Thomas has such good spear and crossbow. Of course he would win. But surely they all knew it was not Thomas's toys that had won the game. Years passed, and eventually, Thomas began to go into town to sell fish on his own. One of his regular customers was an old monk that had traveled the world after his monastery was closed down, but had returned in his old age. In exchange for fish, the old monk taught Thomas reading and math. There were only two schools in Tallinn at this time. One was on Tompea Hill, and the other was in the city center in the old building of the Dominican Friars. These schools were only for the children of the residents of Tallinn, and Thomas would not otherwise have learned to read or write were it not for this old monk. Thomas was 16 years old when a large army of Russians arrived at the city. Thomas and his mother fled behind the city walls for protection. The enemy besieged Tallinn for 207 days before they finally gave up and left without any serious damage to the city. All thanks to the brave defenders. As Thomas and Mai were not citizens of the city, they moved back to the seaside and with the help, rebuilt their hut and eventually life returned to normal. During the siege, the guards had no time for Thomas and everyone else was kept away from the wall and the watchtowers as they were dangerous places to be. Thomas spent much of his free time with the soldiers near the fortified wall of the coastal gate where the soldiers practiced. They competed in crossbow shooting, spear throwing, and jousting. They practiced everything they needed to protect Tolland and kill the enemy. While the enemy left and were defeated, everyone practiced their skills of war, and there was always a chance of their return. Thomas learned to defend a spear thrust with his shield, wield a sword, and shoot a crossbow. It was difficult for Thomas to learn these skills at his age. In the midst of their practice, they would sometimes forget Thomas's age and would strike him hard with the blunt end of the sword. It's your own fault if you can't defend yourself, they would say, and when they saw Thomas's eyes fill with tears. But crying was not an option, as Thomas knew that the men would be reminded of his age and would have sent him away. Although Thomas could not beat the soldiers at spear and sword fighting, even they admired his crossbow skills. There were only about 10 soldiers that could compete with Thomas with a bow. Thomas's skill with a bow motivated him, and he spent more and more time developing this skill. Thomas practiced every chance he could get, and would only stop when his eyes were sore from aiming and his hands were too tired to draw the bow. In this era, there was a large hunting party that was also known to the citizens of Tallinn as the Parrot Shooting Party, which was held on three consecutive Sundays every spring. The hunters rode their horses in a festive procession to the Rose Garden in front of the Great Coastal Gate. The Rose Garden had become much smaller in the years prior, as the new city wall cut right through this garden. 
This did not stop the parrot party, however. In the center of the garden was a square with a tall pole with a wooden replica of a bird placed on top to celebrate the event. This figure was called the parrot. The hunter that was able to knock the parrot off the pole was given the title King of the Hunters for a year. On the first Sunday, the members of the Great Guild tried to shoot the bird. On the second Sunday, the members of the Brotherhood of the Blackheads tried their hand at knocking down the bird. On the third Sunday, the craftsmen from Canuti Guild had their try. Thomas had always watched all the hunting parties with great interest ever since he was a child, and he had always cheered for the hunters that knocked the parrot off of the pole and would follow the celebratory procession that followed. The Russian attack had caused so much troubles that the hunting party was canceled for several years in a row. When it was announced that the hunting party tradition would continue, the city was overcome with excitement, which grew as the date for the party neared. On the evening before the parrot shooting, the pole and the bird were hoisted up into position in the rose garden by the members of the great guild. The day finally came when the hunters of the guild were, were to demonstrate their skills. It was the first warm day of the spring, and most of Tallinn's residents showed up early to the rose garden in fancy dress to view the festivities. The hunters' procession started in front of the great guild building on Peak Street. When the clock in the tower of the Holy Spirit Church struck eleven in the morning, Thomas arrived early so that he could get a good spot to view the fun. Near Thomas, soldiers and townspeople were discussing which of the hunters of the great guild would be lucky enough to hit the bird and earn the resulting honor. So what do you think, Thomas? A soldier asked unexpectedly. The citizens looked at the person that was asked this question, but as they only saw an unknown young man, they lost interest in the question. One man said, He is only a boy. What could he possibly know of shooting a crossbow? Oh, he knows quite a lot. Just watch and see. He might be the one that shoots the bird, the soldier said, praising Thomas. Turning to him for confirmation. Isn't that correct, Thomas? Thomas was not one to brag, but the citizen's words hurt. So he said, I could do it easily. I have shot many live birds. How hard could a wooden one be? These words upset the man. Oh, so he likes to brag. Your words won't mean anything on the shooting range, he said arrogantly. Thomas was upset. Oh, really, he said as he grabbed the crossbow from his back, intent on proving the citizen wrong. The citizen's attention had moved on from the boy, however, but the soldiers noticed him. They were happy to have their trainee prove his skills. The soldiers that had turned to Thomas first said, I wouldn't let it be. Show them that you can at least shoot close to the bird. In previous years, young men armed with crossbows had attempted to shoot the bird before the procession of hunters arrived, but none had ever succeeded. The hunters only managed to hit the target after many attempts. Those that tried to shoot the bird were usually laughed at by the raucous crowd, but none of this was taken seriously by either the crowd or the shooter.
Thomas stood still, not knowing what to do. More people joined in the cheering, and the person that mocked Thomas earlier raised his voice again and stated that all braggarts were like Thomas, all talk and no action. Thomas brushed past the bystanders and stepped into the center of the square to a spot marked with a spear where the hunters were to stand to try to shoot the bird. No one tried to stop Thomas. The members of the great guild who were in charge didn't move. They just watched, enjoying the spectacle and expecting a good laugh. Thomas stood between the two spears, holding the crossbow and trembling with nervousness. He raised his crossbow to aim. His hands shook and he lowered the bow. He knew in his current state of mind he could not hit the target. People around him were cheering and some threw insults. It was not like the quiet of the target range. Thomas felt terrible. Since Thomas was just standing and aiming and not shooting, the crowd soon lost interest in Thomas and looked towards the street where the procession would come. Thomas's anxiety faded. He forgot about the surroundings and imagined that he was in the woods of Copley Peninsula at his target range. The noise of the crowd seemed all of a sudden distant. This time, when Thomas raised his crossbow, his hands were no longer shaking. He could clearly see the colorful bird. He pulled back the string, aimed, then the clank of the arrow releasing as it flew into the sky. Next, the wooden bird swayed in the breeze as though it were alive, before falling to the ground with a thud. At first, the crowd stood in silence, but after that, a commotion broke out. There were shouts of surprise and amazement. Very few had seen the bird hit, but with the excitement of those that saw the shot, more people looked to the pole and the missing bird. It was as if the bird had flown away. The ones that saw the shot told the others, and soon Thomas's name was known to all in the crowd. The son of Fishmonger Mai shot the bird. All of a sudden, everyone's amazement was interrupted by the sound of horns. The procession of the Great Guild was coming through the Great Coast Gate towards the Rose Garden. Leading the procession were the city's hornblowers, followed by the Guildmaster and the hunters. No one in the procession noticed a bird was missing from the pole. When they arrived at the square, members of the guild dismounted from their horses. The journeymen of the guild, that knew of the situation, rushed to the guildmaster and pointed towards the pole and Thomas. During his many years as a guildmaster, he had never seen this happen and had to think of what to do next. Since the young man was not a guild member, the young man could not be awarded the title of King of the Hunters. That was out of the question. The situation needed to be dealt with as quickly as possible. So the guildmaster looked at Thomas. He who has shot the bird, so now he has to put it back up. This was easier said than done. The long siege ladder that was used to put the bird up had been put away, and it would take some time to go and get it. Thomas looked up as he heard the guildmaster speaking. He had expected a far stricter punishment. Thomas was used to climbing tall trees, and on occasion 
he had climbed the masts of ships. It didn't look too impossible to him. He took off his heavy shoes, put the bird on the quiver of the bow, and began to climb his way to the top. The faces of the hunters, which looked disappointed, started to lighten up. Everyone's eyes were on Thomas, and they wondered if he would have the strength to climb to the top and place the parrot in its original position. I'll bet a barrel of beer that Thomas can put the bird back on top of the pole, one of the soldiers offered to the townspeople. In the meantime, Thomas had reached the top of the pole. He was now only holding onto the pole with his legs and one arm, and the other arm reached to the quiver to grab the bird. He started to slip, but the great effort, he managed to put the bird back on top of the pole. Behold, the parrot is now back in its former spot. Thomas quickly slid down the pole and planned on leaving as quickly as possible, but the guildmaster asked him to come forward. I heard that you are not a citizen of Tallinn, but live in the suburbs. How did you learn to shoot like that? The guildmaster asked in a friendly voice. From the soldiers, your highness. From the soldiers. So you like their job? I do. You can go now, but I, but I will talk to the commander. This city needs brave and skilled men. After talking to Thomas, the guildmaster nodded and turned his head away. Thomas quickly grabbed his shoes and his bow and left the square. His escape was not easy, though, as all who had witnessed the events, both strangers and friends, wanted to congratulate Thomas. To the people, Thomas was the real king of the hunters. The guildmaster kept his word. Some time later, the commander, Klaus Holste, asked Thomas to come and visit him and asked Thomas if he would like to become a soldier to fight for the city. The Russians had again invaded Livonia with a large army, and new soldiers were needed to bolster the town's defenses. Thomas, trying to keep his answers short and to the point, like a proper soldier, answered, I do, Commander. Klaus Holste shook Thomas's hand and called an official that introduced rules Thomas would need to abide by as a soldier. When Thomas stepped out of Klaus Holste's house and into the streets of Tallinn, he felt that as if everyone that saw him should notice his change. Thomas from the suburbs had become Thomas, the warrior of the city of Tallinn. A few days after, Thomas was given his equipment, which consisted of chain mail, a spear, a shield, a crossbow, battle axe, and other things. He moved into a house that was shared by the soldiers. For at least a while, his mother was to stay in their little house by the sea. She wasn't able to stay there for long, because messengers soon arrived that news that the Russian forces of 50,000 men had invaded Livonia and was moving towards Tallinn. On January 22, 1577, a messenger arrived to inform the town that the Russians had reached Yoeletma, which was about two hours' horse ride away. The city rushed to arrange its defenses. Straw and hay were ordered out of the attics so that the stray fireballs wouldn't ignite the city. 
In addition to soldiers, mercenaries, and armed townspeople, Ivo Schenkenberg, the son of a mentor, had formed a 300-man cavalry unit of peasants that fled to the city from neighboring villages. Thomas brought his mother and her belongings to the city and then rushed back to his spot on the wall. Since he was a skillful hunter, he was placed in a watchtower with a crossbow and was ordered to shoot at enemy spies. At first, the enemy didn't come within shooting distance. They set up camp on a hill near Ulamiste Mill and waited. A brave group of men rode out from the protection of the city walls towards the Russian camp, where they were met with arrow fire. In all, only one man was lost, and the men learned some valuable information. The Russians had begun building their battery tower on Tunismai. They were hampered by cannon fire from the city, but eventually the battery tower was complete and they began pummeling the city with cannon fire. A volley of iron and stone was unleashed on the city, but thanks to the city's strong walls, no serious damage was done. The Russians began building new battery towers to menace the city. Again, a group of townsmen rode out to destroy the towers. Thomas watched as the towers were set alight and how many of the Russians were killed and they were even able to capture a Russian commander and take him prisoner. Weeks went by with both sides firing at the other. The townspeople were able to carry out more successful attacks. In one of these raids, the commander-in-chief of the Russian forces was mortally wounded by cannon fire while trying to lead his men on an attack of Tallinn. The Russians concentrated their fire on the city wall by a kick into Cook Tower and managed to create a hole in the wall, but this breach in the tower held. The Russians proposed the city to surrender, but it was rejected. On March 8, the Russians tried to set fire to the city's council ships, but cannon fire from the city drove them off with only limited damage to the ships. The townspeople learned from some Russian prisoners that they were digging two tunnels and they planned on digging underneath the city walls and were going to fill the cavern with gunpowder and blast a hole in the wall from underneath. This was a real threat to the city and men began to dig counter tunnels to find the Russian tunnels and eliminate them. But they soon realized that without more information, their attempts were useless so they decided to attack the Russians once again with a large force, however. The attackers consisted of 100 horsemen and 400 soldiers, including Thomas. The plan was to attack Tunismai Battery and take as many prisoners as possible. A reward of 50 marks was offered for every prisoner captured and returned. A blast from a horn was to mark when it was time to head back to the city. Normally. These attacks happened at night, but the Russians were on guard, so this attack happened during the day. The townspeople made their final preparations for the attack. Thomas's mother warned him against acting recklessly, but Thomas wasn't listening. His mind was already on the battlefield. The final orders were given, and the cannons on the city wall began to fire at the Russian battery tower. At the same time, a small hidden gate was opened and the men on foot 
tried to get as close to the Russian tower without being noticed. They were halfway there when they were spotted, and a hail of arrows and cannon fire was sent their way. At this time, all of a sudden, the 100 horsemen burst from the main gate and joined in on the attack. The head of the attack engaged the Russians. Thomas was in the first rows and managed to kill a horseman with his sword. With great skill, he used his shield to deflect a spear thrust that was meant for his chest and rushed forwards. With unbound courage, the men made their way to the battery tower. A constant deluge of arrows streamed from the tower, but still the townspeople confidently pressed the attack. The Russians realized the tower was lost and looked to escape out of the opposite side of the battery tower. They were quickly discovered and the escaping Russians became easy targets for the soldiers. Climbing the ladder of the battery tower, Thomas was met by an armored opponent and with a heavy blow of his sword, destroyed his opponent's shield. Clearing the way up, Thomas was standing on the battery tower. What a beautiful view of the city. He didn't have time to admire his view, though. Someone yelled, Get off the tower! A second later, the soldiers set it on fire with torches. Thomas was about to join his commander, Klaus Holstey, who was fighting somewhere in front of the horsemen, when the horn sounded to call the men back to the city. Those that were further away probably didn't hear the horn through the commotion of battle, and they kept fighting. To Thomas's right was Ivo Schenkenberg, the head of the peasant unit, who was tying the hands of a much taller Russian's hands behind his back. At that moment, Thomas remembered the order to bring back as many prisoners as possible, which he had forgotten about in the heat of battle. Thomas rushed to where the battle was fiercest to try and capture a man. By that time, the soldiers that had heard the horns were hurrying back to the city. They shouted at Thomas, who was going in the opposite direction. You didn't hear the horns? Head back to the city! Thomas waved at them and rushed ahead. After he had run a while, he heard a loud noise coming from his left. Seemingly, out of nowhere, additional enemy troops blocked the escape of the townspeople. And we will leave this episode with the cliffhanger. I'm so nervous. What's Thomas going to do? Well, we'll find out next time with History of Estonia podcast signing off. And until next time, Nagamisini.